0: morning.
1: Good.
0: We're good. good. It's been such a joy for Floss and I to be with you this weekend. We've so enjoyed it. You've made us feel so welcome. We have the most amazing hosts. Linda and Chris have been just amazing. (laughs) Don't forget Daisy. She's played her part. Uh, We've been so well looked after. Thank you so much. We feel like we're at home here. It just is great to be with you and hopefully we have helped you. Uh, over the last 10 years, Floss and I have been focused on one thing. Before that, we were, uh, uh, and we stood our church planters. We've planted uh, way over 10 churches that in the um, Norfolk area and beyond. And, um, but in this particular phase of our life, we felt God has been teaching us and helping us to help others to truly be a spirit and word church. That is right at the heart of relational mission, right at the heart of New Frontiers, that we're not just word churches, but that we are spirit churches. I have to say, I've travelled, both of us have travelled widely. We've yet to meet a New Frontiers church that is two of the spirit. We have met many that are far too much of the Word, but not yet one true is too much of the Spirit. In a sense, I hope we get there so that we can bring a bit of corrections and we realize we're getting nearer to what we should be. So that's what we we do, and it's just such a privilege uh, to do that. And we've been teaching some of that uh, stuff already. This morning, we want to look at, um, I think, a key element. If you are going to be the church that God intends you to be and do the things that Jesus did because that is his intention Mm. that when people meet us they meet Jesus that's the heart of it all isn't it and that the things that we do are the things that Jesus did then if that's going to happen then you've got to build a faith adventuring community Mm. and we're going to just give you some I think some key insights to how to do that Uh, the culture of the church has to change Mm -hmm. and it has to become this faith adventuring community where everybody takes risks and everybody is courageous Sue and Ian a couple in our church they were one day visiting uh, uh, their daughter a daughter who has been rebellious against God, didn't want to know anything about him and uh, actually visiting their daughter was rather difficult. Um, but they did. And they were there and they could tell that things were not good. Things were not right. They never said anything, but they could tell that things were not right. Eventually, Sue plucked up the courage and said, um, there's something not right, isn't there? Tell us, what, what is it? Daughter said this. She said, um, well... Um, I'm pregnant. But the trouble is, is that it's an ectopic pregnancy. They've scanned and the, uh, <clears throat> the baby, the fetus, is not uh, uh, bedded in the womb. It's bedded in the fallopian tube and next week they're going to remove the baby. Otherwise it will die, it will kill me. And Sue was in that dilemma, what do I do? She's rejected God, she hates Christianity, what do I do? Well, she took courage. She said, you know, I could pray for you. And she said, will you? So she did. She laid her hand on her womb and prayed for her, that God would do a miracle. A few days later, it was that somber day, she went to the hospital to have her first child removed. Of course, as is custom, they scanned her body again and they came back somewhat perplexed and surprised. They had some good news to tell her
1: Mm. Uh, the baby
0: was in the room. And now about what, two, three years old? At school now. At school? <laughs> Started school. Amazing.
2: Wow. Praise God. A few weeks later,
0: John Heard, another guy in our church, that his I think it was his not his daughter, but his daughter-in-law had exactly the same thing. She had an ectopic pregnancy. And he said, God, if you can do it for Ian and Sue and her daughter, you can do it for mine. In fact, God, I'm going to dare to believe you can do even greater things than that. So, the scan had shown that it was on the um, fallopian tube and it had to be removed. Again, as is the practice, when she went in to have it removed, they scanned her womb again. What they found in the room were twins.
2: Wow.
0: (laughs) God did even more than they asked or thought, and even greater. I think God deserves an extraordinary round of applause for that. So why I mean I'm telling you those stories because those are the stories that we get in our church on a regular basis as we've been pursuing. ...what we believe is true, authentic Christianity. But I tell you that story for another reason, and it's this. is that we have tried to birth a supernatural baby... ...or the supernatural ministry in the gift of an individual... ...rather than in the womb of a community and a culture. What happens on weekends like this can be this... That you personally get stirred. You get really stirred to to do the stuff that Jesus did and you take a step by yourself. You adventure in faith. And then it doesn't work out. You may have a word of knowledge but it's not responded to. You want to pray for somebody, they don't want you to pray for them. And suddenly you get discouraged and disheartened and eventually you give up. I I want to say to you, that's not how it's meant to happen. We have got what we've got in our church because we do it as a community. We do it together. We were never meant to do it alone. We will be blown out the water if we try. But we can do this as a family, as a community, as a people. We can do it together. This is a great quote. Let me read this to you. We were always meant to venture out. But we were never meant to do it alone. When Jesus kicked off the mission that we are continuing now, he didn't commission rugged, individualistic, swashbucklers, haphazardly forging their own destinies in life. But rather, he initiated a movement Mm. destined to be the community of the faithful. Mm. Wow. If you grasp that first principle, that's why we're talking today about building a faith-adventuring community. Not individuals, but all of us together. We've all got a vital part to play and we will all encourage one another to greater exploits if we understand this community principle. So, what we're going to try to do is give you some insights on how to do that. Jesus didn't call one, he called 12. He called a greater group. Some versions say 70, some say 72. He never sent anyone out by themselves, they always went at least in twos. Do you get the principle? You will flounder if you try to do this by yourself. But together, wow, everything is possible. So we're going to spend some time, Floss and I, we're going to do a tag team here. And um, we're going to just share with you what we think is important about building that community. And I want to start by borrowing some words from Jeremiah. This is Jeremiah 1. This is his call as a prophet. Verses 9 to 11. Then the Lord reached out his hand and he touched my mouth and he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth. See today I've appointed you over nations and kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy and to overthrow. Then to build and to plant. In other words, God was saying, Jeremiah, your ministry is first of all to demolish, and then to build. In fact, four things had to, or four demolishing words are used; only two building words. Isn't that interesting? Actually, I believe if we're going to progress as a faith adventuring community, we have got more things to destroy than we have to build. And so what we're going to do, Frost and I, is we're going to give you some things that need to be demolished, destroyed, once and for all. And I'm going to let your elders work that out (coughs) in the future, okay, though we will be very eager to help them. And then we're going to finish up with some things that actually we need to build, okay? You with me on that? Yeah. Okay, the first thing we've got to demolish is excuses excuses. Have you ever met those Christians that always have an excuse why they don't live like Jesus lives? There's always an excuse. I want to give you just one, because we'd be here all night if we um, I gave you the ones that we use. Just one simple one to illustrate this principle. Okay. I'm just going to wait until I know it's really of God, then I'll do it. <coughs> I'll wait until I know it's really God. I want to tell you this, that if you wait for that moment in time, it will never come. It will never arrive. I have never been 100% certain of anything. (laughs) I don't know most of the time. I mean, that bit earlier, I don't know what God's doing. I'm I'm trusting and going with what God
2: yeah. gives me. Yeah.
0: Am I sure? No. I become sure as I venture out. Yeah. Have you notice that? We'll see an example of that in scripture in a moment. We will only know when we venture. I think at the very best, I would say that I've only been, at the most, 80% certain of something. And that's very rare. After all, it's an adventure of faith. So please do not use the excuse, I'll wait till I'm really sure. Because you'll never get there. And you'll miss the opportunity. This is a quote which is, I think, quite telling. It says this. How begins the day God grants you the vision to see all that you could have done, should have done, and would have done, but did not do it? Isn't that powerful? What do you regret? Well, psychologists have researched regret. And they've come up with an interesting finding. Over, say, a short period of time, like a week, when you look back on that week, guess what you will regret the most? That will be the things that you've done that proved to be wrong. About 53% of your regrets will be based on that. And 47 will be based on the things that you should have done but didn't do. But in the long term, when they researched regret, they found this. That people later in life would say this. That they would regret the things that they didn't do, that they could have done and should have done, far more than the sins that they had committed. Something like nearly 90% of regrets are focused on, we had an opportunity, we did not take it, and we missed it. I want to save you living a life of regret. You will live a life of regret if you believe you've got to wait till you're certain before you act. You will never discover God's will that way. Let me give you an example. The example is of Jonathan and his armour bearer. Do you remember that story? It's uh, 1 Samuel. And Jonathan with his armour bearer are just two people against the whole army of the people called the Philistines. And this is what Jonathan seeks to do. Jonathan said to his uh, young armour bearers, this is 1 Samuel 14, 6. Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, the Philistines. Perhaps the Lord will act, notice that, Perhaps. How many of you have acted on a perhaps?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, if you want to be a faith-venturing community, you will have to act on the perhaps. Okay? Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by a few. The armour-bearer says, do all that you have in mind, his armour-bearer said, go ahead I am with you, heart and soul. Isn't that great? Two together. Here they go. So Jonathan said, come on then. We will cross over towards them and let them see us. He's mad. There's just two of them. If they can see him, they can get to him. There's more than he... He will never escape them, but he shows them to him. Or he says, let's go and say... If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay, stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. The man is bonkers. Guess what happens? The Philistines say, hey, come up to us. We want to destroy you. Come. And Jonathan said, this is our moment. God's given them to us. And a great victory takes place through just two people against an army. And how did it happen? It happened on a perhaps. If you're going to be a faith-venturing community, then you've got to learn to respond to the perhapses of our God.
3: Morning, everybody. Good morning. Lovely to see your lovely faces. Okay, so the, the last words I've got at the end of that section, destroying excuses, is just do it.
1: Mm-hmm. Just
3: do it. Um, and so often we just think those little messages that come into our head are just rubbish. But hopefully as we were teaching you yesterday to listen to the voice of God and respond to it. And um, you know, you will never find out if it's God if you don't push the doors, will you? And I think that's always good guidance anyway, push the doors and see what God's opens. Just do it now. We have a lady in one of our churches um, who's who's called Becky. She's an amazing lady, and uh, she's the so those of you who were there yesterday, she's the mother of the four-year-old who had the word for Heidi Baker. Some of you know that, which is extraordinary. So get the others to tell you about that if you weren't here yesterday. But this is Becky, and she she just has the most amazing relationship with God, and she has wonderful conversations with God. And one morning, uh, she's going out to the. She works as a. Um, uh, Was it a midday supervisor in a school? I think she was a midday supervisor in a a school. And uh, she was getting ready and she was was late and she was in a rush. (coughs) And as she was getting ready, she felt God say to her, Becky, take a load of plastic bags with you. And she just, she'd had this argument with God. She just said, no, look, I, no, I'm sorry, that's ridiculous. Why do I need plastic bags? And she said, I haven't got time anyway. So God just kept saying to her, Becky, take plastic bags with you. And she said, I haven't got time. Anyway, in the end, she gave in. And she went and found a load of plastic bags. And then she said to God, now you've made me late.
1: <laughs> and
3: anyway, so she went off to school. She walked to school. With these plastic bags, I have no idea what God's saying to me and uh, what these plastic bags are for. And on the way to school, she saw nobody, you know, anything. And she got to school and she was really cross because she was back five minutes late. Um, and uh, through her day, she was just chuntering. And then she, you know, come to the end of the day, she walked home. On her way home, she she came up behind this lady who would obviously been shopping, and this lady was obviously having a very bad day because this lady was very voluble in her discontent about her life and her lot, and was actually swearing quite a lot. And Betty, Becky thought, well, I'm not going to go anywhere near you. So she like almost crossed the other side. And then God said to her, no, don't, stay there. And then suddenly, this lady got two bags of shopping. The shopping bags both broke, and the shopping went all over the pavement. And so God said, there you are, Becky, go on. And she said, I'm not going. Anyway, I'm not going to any that. Because this woman was even more cross. And anyway, so she, um, but God spoke to her, said, go on, Becky, these are what the plastic bags are for. So she said, all right. So she got the plastic bags, and she was like, at arm's distance, Here are some plastic bags? Because she didn't like going to any this lady. Anyway, uh, the lady took the plastic bags, and then she was sort of chuntering, and she said, well, why would you give me plastic bags? Well, you know, what would you do? And she was obviously still so cross. And then, you know, this lady said to her, "Well, why why have you got a load of plastic bags?" And so Becky told her that God had spoken to her, and what Becky was able to say is, "God loves you so much that He knew you would need these plastic bags," and she was able to share the gospel with her about how God loved her. That was so simple. And Becky has all sorts of extraordinary experiences like that. Just develop that hearing ear and do it. You know, you know what are you going to lose? You know pride, whatever Jesus deserves our going out for him and doing it and we've got a world out there that needs us to listen to God and hear what he needs to say so that they can be blessed and brought under the sound of the gospel, so just do it you know, little things that you might hear, anyway, so we're going on with demolishing things <coughs> like children isn't it, they love demolishing things but I'm not so good at putting them together but we can be Okay, so the second thing we want to demolish is the whole thing of contentment. Okay, now this is an absolute curse on our churches. Contentment, and I have been in churches, well, particularly one church where we were in for 10 years, drove me absolutely mad because their sort of mantra was, "Um, we've always done it this way. Or, we've never done that before, and so we're not going to do that now. You know, actually... um, we need to really get rid of contentment. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said this, the only real revolutionary is a person who's got nothing to lose. You know? yeah. And when we've got a lot invested in how things are and that making them stay as they are, then we find it very difficult to change, don't we? very difficult and actually it's a jolly good job that Jesus wasn't so content in heaven that he wouldn't come to earth yeah.
1: mm-hmm. and if
3: Jesus was prepared to do that for you then you know I think actually we need to be seriously looking at our areas of contentment in our lives and actually challenging ourselves and I think as, as a church community that's what we've had to do you know pe- but yes people do don't we don't like change very often but actually, if we're going to win the world out there, we are going to have to change in here. Yeah. And we're going to have to change ourselves, we're going to have to change the way we do things, and it might not be the way we want to do things. And, um, you know, you may well have, in a sense, a church that's got a vision to, to reach the loss, but unless we as individuals are prepared to change and to, be, and to be able to do something that's different. You know, actually, COVID forced us to do different things, didn't it? Forced us to. And um, I think we can learn from that, actually, that we can change. We're not so stuck in our ways, hopefully. And we, cannot, we have not got the luxury. There's a world out there to win. Mm-hmm. And it needs us to be prepared to not be so content that actually we won't change and when your leaders come to you and say to you, we're going to change this and do this this way, that you don't say, well, we've never done it like that before in the old days, of course we always did it like this no, we can't be in the old days, people. God's about a new thing, you know and um, sometimes we have in our churches people who are just very, very unprepared to move on and we cannot structure church life around the few people who don't want to move on. And um, I'm sorry, that's quite you know, that's, that's quite hard to hear in some ways. And if you're, and I just want to encourage you, be people who are not so content, you know, that you're not prepared to. What's Holy Spirit doing? What is God saying to us? How do we change it? We're about to tell, well, I'm not, thankfully, but the the leaders are about to tell the church that we are changing the service times, you know, and it's going to be a bit inconvenient, but we need to do it, you know? And uh, Randy Clark says this. He talks about holy discontent. He said, periods of revival... Do we want revival? Do you want to see revival? Okay. Periods of revival are characterized by people who believe that the life they are living and the things the church is experiencing are beneath what is possible and available in God. And this belief causes them to seek Him for an impartation of the more. So we need to be prepared to demolish. Contentment.
0: Oh, contentment, sorry Brilliant. Brilliant So, got your sledgehammer out yet? <laughs> Ready to demolish? Third thing demolish failure I'm going to give you some profound words from Homer Simpson Here they are You tried your best, you failed The lesson is never try. <laughs> the sad thing is that could be the culture in our church we're frightened of failure I was just saying last uh, yesterday that I went out treasure hunting and, and uh, that the last time I went out treasure hunting we do it very regularly I love being on the streets uh, just sharing the gospel and uh, everyone I approached would not let me pray with them I mean I had I mean it, you could have said it was utter failure. But one of our groups led someone to the Lord in that session. Yes.
1: Mm.
0: And that was the first time that they'd ever experienced that privilege of leading someone to the Lord.
1: Praise right. God. It wasn't failure, yeah. it's was glorious success. Yeah. Glorious
0: success. Because when we do it as a community, what they achieved is my achievement. Yeah. yeah. My achievement, we saw someone saved because we went out on the streets. It's a great story because this lady, because of her MS, uh, for the first time went out on a scooter, on an electric scooter, because she didn't have the strength to, to, um, uh, to walk. And she said, I don't think God can use me on a scooter. And boy, everybody gravitated to her. It was like she was a magnet. She just, everybody came and talked to her. And, uh, and she led somebody who, who was on a scooter to the Lord. Um, just amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, demolish failure. I love this. I'm going to get excited when I read this, but forgive me. This is Mark Twain. 20 years from now, you will be more disappointed by the things that you did not do than by the ones you did do. So throw off the bow lines. Sail away from the safe harbour. Catch the trade winds in your sails. Explore, dream, discover. That's a great strap line for a church, isn't it? eh? We are a church that's going to explore, dream, discover. Amazing. There is no such thing as failure in our church at home. What we call it is education.
1: Mm.
0: We've learned something. Every time we step up over our fear into faith, we are learning something. We can never, ever fail. Kierkegaard said this, to dare is to lose one's footing momentarily. To not dare is to lose oneself completely. Mm. I meet so many Christians whose lives are lost because they don't venture. Mm. Because they don't take risks. Let me give you one more quote. Oswald Sanders, that great classic uh, author of uh, great Christian material. A great deal more failure... Is the result of an excess of caution than the bold experimentation with new ideas? The frontiers of the kingdom of God were never advanced by men and women of caution. So we're demolishing caution. And one of the ways we do that is to demolish failure. You cannot fail. You just get more educated. You get more educated. You know, there, there was, there's actually been some very serious research done on failure. Do you know, a very cautious person in one year will on average make two major mistakes. Two fundamental major mistakes. Those who are adventurous who take risks, who, you know, explore, guess how many mistakes they make in a year? Two major mistakes. So what would you rather be? Mm. Cautious? Or full of adventure? Because in the end, guess what? You're not going to make any more mistakes. (laughs) I think we need to establish a culture where there is no such as a mistake Absolutely. That we're all on this journey together, we're all making a contribution and when we step over our fear and talk to somebody or offer to pray with somebody then we are succeeding whether they understand that or not mm-hmm. so another bit of sledgehammer swinging onto the whole area of failure
3: Okay, so number four things that we need to destroy, and you'll see there's just a, there's just the same theory going through all of these. The fourth thing we need to destroy is the idol of safety. Okay, and um, this is such a big thing, you know, being safe and keeping people safe, and I'll I'll come on to in a sense our culture in a minute, but when... um, When Jesus was walking along the shore of Galilee and he called the disciples to come and be with him, you know, it says that once they left their nets and followed him, okay? Now, we tend to think, oh, that was, they were just having a little hobby, doing their fishing, you know, just something they liked to do. No, that was their whole income. They had nothing other than the income from fishing. They were fishermen. Their fishing boat, their fishing routine, all of it was their whole life. And Jesus called them and they left their boats behind. Now, actually, we sometimes need to think on that, what it actually meant. They had no idea, really, who this man was. They obviously had a revelation that he was somebody they needed to follow. But they didn't know. They didn't know where they were going. They didn't know when the next meal was going to be prepared for them or where they were going to get the food from. And most of all, they didn't know who was going to pay. (laughs) They didn't know any of that. But they went. And, you know, actually, we just got to be really aware of ourselves about how much, particularly in the West, we have made keeping safe and doing things that keep us safe and don't put us in any type of danger that actually we've made that into an idol, mm. and um, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a historian, I did history at university, and I love uh, the stories, the heroes from history, and one of the stories I love best that really illustrates this point is the story about Alexander the Great, who was this great uh, Greek, um, he, he built this huge empire.
1: He was a very
3: young man, and he only lived for a very short time, but his impact was extraordinary. And I think the story I'm going to tell you, it shows you why. Um, his, his, oh, he spent years overwhelming all the people, the groups around him. His men were fierce. They were feared. They were trained, highly trained soldiers. They were, they were used to victory. Okay. But then one day, Alexander decided he needed to, go, he needed to invade Persia and go and take the Persian uh, area. And so his men um, got in the boats, and they sailed across to the shores of Persia. When they got there, they realized that they were still in their boats. They were visibly outnumbered by the people on the shore who knew they were coming. Okay? And uh, the men pleaded with Alexander, no, we need to rethink this, shed, think, rethink this. We need to go back and we need to get reinforcements and we need to rethink the strategy. <clears throat> and this is how Alexander responded. He said he ordered them to pull up onto the shore, which they did. And then he said to them, burn the boats. We go home in Persian boats or we don't go home at all. Wow. And they actually triumphed. And they did sail home in Persian boats. And that's a, such a brave decision. And throughout history you see men and women of such bravery who will make those decisions. You know, they made intention. Intentionally they took away the options. Alexander didn't give his men any options. They fought and they, they succeeded and they went home in Persian boats or they died on those shores. You know he took away those options and his command said, <coughs> sent his men a message that you know that the focus you know you're so defined that like, focus their focus was on one thing and it and it, it was destroyed. the safety thing in their lives was in a sense destroyed but they fought and i think so often we need to have that attitude. And there's a great example of this in the Old Testament when Elisha is called by Elijah. Remember Elijah, you know, after Mount Carmel, God takes, you know, God provides for him a companion, a man to be alongside him, who he is then gonna pass on his ministry to. He gave him Elisha. And Elijah came to Elisha and said, you know, come with me. Now what did Elisha do? He went back to where he'd been plowing, okay? And it says this, So Elisha left Elijah and went back. He took his yoke of oxen and slaughtered them. He burned the ploughing equipment to cook the meat and gave it to the people. And they ate. Then he set out to follow Elijah and became his attendant. He burnt his boat. He burnt his plough. He couldn't go back. And, um, you know, I think sometimes we need to have that... Um, we need to have that radical sense of our lives and I think as I wanted to say that the West we have become so soft we've become so Inured to putting ourselves in harm's way and actually if you look at the great missionaries of old um, and on the school the other, the other day I was just teaching our last session on school about the what they called the, the coffin missionaries of the 19th century And uh, they knew the call of God on their lives, and they went, they packed all their belongings in a coffin um, because they knew they were never coming back. You know? And uh, that was their, that was the radical nature of their commitment to Jesus. Now, I don't think God is asking you to do that. But, you know, we live in such a, a risk averse world. As a teacher, my goodness, anybody work in education here, risk assessments, you know, my goodness. And in other areas of life, everything's got to be safe. And through COVID, we had to keep ourselves safe. And yes, that was right to an extent, but we've now got a fear in us that says, we will not venture out. And, um, you know, we have to have that vision. You know, we should have, I know it sounds simple, but I think felt through COVID that actually God spoke to me and he said, where is your eternal perspective? You know, we were afraid of dying during COVID. Well, if we die, what's gonna happen? We get glory, you know? And I think we've lost that in the West. You know, I mean, we're not even allowed to play conkers in school anymore, are we? Because we're so worried about our children. And as parents, we wrap our children up in cotton wool now. And um, as a teacher, I always used to know the children that were mollycoddled by their parents, they were always the ones that were ill. Um, they were always the ones that caught colds. The parents that were somewhat neglectful of their children, their children went out and played in the dirt and were always dirty and got, you know, they never got ill. It was extraordinary. And I think we've got that. And you know, we, we love the story. Um, about Richard Branson, do you know, if you read Richard Branson's biography, tells you about his mother. Now he's obviously an amazing entrepreneur, but actually his mother really started that off in him because she was she was an extraordinary mother. And actually, you know, uh, you know, if people knew about how she mothered her children, they'd probably have taken them away from her in some ways these days. But do you know what she did one day T- to teach? Him uh, resilience and resourcefulness. She, they were driving home from somewhere, and she stopped the car and dropped him off miles from home, and gave him the task to find his way home. Oh, you know, terrible. And then, how did she teach him to swim? She just threw him in the river. It's uh, terrible, isn't it? It is terrible. Actually, you have to be very careful. But you know, you know what I'm saying? But actually. We are, and we are bringing up our children in such a way that they are fearful.
1: Yeah.
3: You know, we, we have not got the, the, the life, you know, the license, we haven't got the option of being fearful people if we're gonna take the world for Jesus, Amen. have we? So we need to demolish that safety idol. How, how Father God, just release knowledge to me of how I've, how I've got that safety idol in my life, how I'm just trying to keep myself safe. God is our fortress and our refuge. He's our place of safety. And we need to really demolish that.
0: Right. So that's the end of some demolishing. There are more things, but that would be enough for today, I think. Okay, enough demolishing. You know, one of the great joys Uh, is when we visit churches that we've done these weekends go back and see that they have changed and transformed and that's because they um, they have demolished things it's a real sadness when we go back and discover that they haven't changed at all and that's because the default mode hasn't been set differently, it's still the same and they go back into how they were anyway, building a faith culture now the first thing I want to say is this You need to take this principle on board. Seize the opportunity. Mm. Seize the opportunity. There's a huge difference between what the Western church knows and what it experiences. And the call of God on our lives is to experience what we know. And the only way we would do that is when we have an opportunity we Take it. And it comes in many different forms and fashions. But every day, believe it or not, if we're attentive to the Holy Spirit, there is likely to be an opportunity for us to do something that brings in a measure of the kingdom of God into that situation. And so we need to be attentive to the moment and then seize the day seize that moment capé d'am as they said in that great film Okay, seize the moment and it may seem very simple but actually just think how much your life would be changed if you just operated that principle from today onwards you just take that opportunity this is a quote from Cardinal Newman he says this, fear not that your life shall come to an end but rather fear that it should never have a beginning and what he meant by that, if we don't seize the opportunities we get then maybe our life hasn't really begun it hasn't really started Opportunities, as I said, come in all different forms and fashion. God gives you those opportunities and he wants you to take them. I'm going to curtail what I'm going to say because I'm going to go straight on to Floss. Okay. Yep. Yep, you're next. You're on. Share with us.
3: They're on here. Okay. Take a risk. And I'm taking the risk. Yes, thank you. Ooh. Okay, oh, right, okay. So, um, sharing testimonies is such a good way of just to build a culture of sharing testimonies. and. Um, we, as Brantley said over the weekend, we have, we give everybody, every chance, every time we're meeting together in a, in a small group, in leadership groups, in, um, in teams, we, are, we share good stories, we share stories with them. Build that into your culture. Now at the School of Supernatural Life, we, uh, we do that every time we meet on Tuesday evening or a Friday morning, and we share stories. And every single story is written on a piece of bunting. You know, the triangles of bunting, okay? We write them. And uh, this year, uh, we were putting the bunting up for graduation. We did it two Sundays ago. We had so much bunting, we didn't know what to do with it. Now, this is a, just a, in one year, our students, had shared with us over 400 stories, over 400 stories, and that's not, there's not loads and loads of them. 400 stories, and so actually, no, we celebrated that, and it was amazing. Actually, when you hear what somebody has done, before you think, well, that can happen again. Testimony should be to to just encourage you to say, that can happen If that happened through that person, I can see that happen you know if if that person's been healed then i can be healed and those are so precious you know and i think that we need to just give each other opportunities to share with one another about testimony about things that are just little even if it's the littlest thing and we celebrate like we said yesterday we celebrate those testimonies and it redefines success actually we really really need to as Grant you talked about failure we need to redefine success and so actually when our students even if they do the smallest thing we celebrate it, and we yeah. we and that's what you need to do with one another. That's how we're doing it in community, sharing with each other. Just the little things. Oh, I was able to just you know love my neighbour. Just take them round. Something God just spoke to me about taking uh, you know a meal round to this family, or God just said to me, go and take that person out for coffee, or you know go and, that those that family might need something for the children. You know, just those little things, and share those with one another because it builds faith yeah. in one another. So, you know, it says God is more interested in the level of my risk taking than the level of my success. What I've learned is that every step of risk is rewarded equally regardless of the results. God rewards faith, not performance. And that's written by a man called Kevin Deadman. Okay. And so actually, I want to encourage you to be a people who share testimony with one another and celebrate it. And so on a Sunday morning, you know, be feeding into your leaders good testimonies Mm -hmm. during the week, what's happened to you. So they can then say, this is what's happened in the church this week. That's how we began. And now our church is expected. It develops expectation. Yeah. Okay. And uh, I I just want to encourage you to do that. And I think, are you writing down all the stories in in your book when people share something from from the front, or are you just writing down what Uh, people say to you? Brilliant. Yeah, brilliant. Record it. And uh, as Grant, you said, we now have somebody who's going to be employed, actually, in our office to just record all the the testimonies that are coming in during the week. Okay.
1: Do you want to come? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, okay.
0: I'm going to stay with you. Okay. Yeah, okay. So let me just finish with one last story, which I think sums up all that we're talking about about building, about seizing the moment, about redefining what success is, about celebrating the good news and sharing them. And it's back to Becky and Ella, uh, Ellie, her daughter. And uh, remember that story I told some of you about when she was four years of age? Well, she's a little bit older in this story, she's now six. And they're coming home from church. And she says to her mum, Mum, God's given a word to me. She said, oh, that's fine. Yeah, yeah, what is it? And he says, it's very simple. Um, There's a lady here. We're going to meet a lady. And she needs to know that she's pregnant. And that God's going to give her the child. And Becky thinks, oh, no, you're not. That is, thank you, thank you. Uh, That's very kind, but... uh, and so Becky starts praying desperately that they meet nobody. <laughs> We're not going to meet anybody on the way home. And, uh, th- th- and it starts really well. The only people they meet are really old ladies. And so uh, they, 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 then suddenly, just, just before they get to their home, a lady comes round the corner, a young lady, and walks towards her. And before Becky could grab hold of Ellie, Ellie runs up to this woman and starts saying, Hi, good morning, it's great to see you. God's got a message for you. You are pregnant, and God says you're going to keep your baby. And of course, Becky is wanting to die a thousand deaths. Instantly, the woman starts crying. She was actually on her phone talking. The woman just started to burst into tears. And so Becky said, oh, have we offended you? No, 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 no. I was just on the phone to my partner to tell him that I'm pregnant. But that I'm terribly fearful because I've lost every child that I've conceived. And I was just, before I rang him, I said, God, if there is a God in heaven... Can you show me that he's true and real and that you can save my baby? And then Ellie, six years of age, runs up and tells her that. All about to seize the moment. Take the initiative. Redefine success. These are all crucial issues. Right, you want to minister for us and then we're going to stop?
2: Yeah. yeah. But just before we will close in just a second but I've just really felt um, just a growing weight in terms not, not a, in a really heavy handed way but just in the sense of you know sometimes can feel, things can feel weighty in terms of their significance and, and of their importance I've been feeling that growing and increasing over the course of this weekend so starting from even actually before Friday as we've been approaching this weekend just of the of what, this, what today and what this weekend could be, should be, and has the potential to do and to be. If all this weekend is, is something that we look back on with a bit of fond nostalgia in a few years' time. Where we think, oh wasn't it great to have Grantley and Floss with us. And do you remember that time when we encountered God in that way? As amazing as this weekend has been, if that's all it is, then I, I feel like we've missed what God is actually calling us into. Can you hear my heart in this? I don't mean this in a heavy-handed way. I just feel an excitement, actually, about what could be in our communities, in Fabsham and in Sittingbourne, in the places where God has called us to be. Because I really do feel that, actually, this weekend has the potential to be a catalyst for change and for growth, for a shift in of more of what the Holy Spirit wants to do within us not just to be contained within the walls of our church, but to go out into our neighbourhoods and to go out into our communities as well. But there has to come a point where we, we have to make decisions as individuals and as communities as to whether we're going to take hold of what God has for us. And so actually, from this weekend, may I just really encourage you to just ask yourself this question of will you settle, will we settle... For less than what God has invited us into. And again I don't mean this is an oppressive word. I mean that this is an invitation. I feel really excited about what could be. And I personally, I don't want to settle individually. And I do not want our churches to settle for anything less than what God has invited us into But that is a decision that we all have to make. And so I want to invite you into that invitation to really consider, there's lots for us to think upon. There's lots that's been shared. There'll be things for us as eldership teams and leaders to think about, but it's for each of us as well to think those things through. So let's not rush on and think that was a great weekend. It has been a great weekend, but it really has the potential to spark us off into so much more. Uh, And just to think about... What what, what was it? Explore, dream, discover. And we can do that. Dream about what you want to see in your life and what you want to see in your communities and what you want to see in your churches. Ask God to show you what he has for us and take hold of those promises and let's do whatever we can through obedience to the Holy Spirit's leading and prompting. I honestly think in a year's time, two years' time, three years' time, ten years' time, our churches are going to look completely, and our communities are going to look completely different. Okay? Okay. Amen.